Suzanne Sherman. Living a lifestyle of self-reliance used to be the norm. Now it is considered a lost art. Let me help you learn the ways of days gone by when food was appreciated and not wasted. Goods were repurposed and not discarded. So much of what we eat, use, and wear today is purchased at a store or through an online retailer. And the cost of this convenience is the lack of understanding for the effort and the sacrifice that goes into the creation of goods. Let's start with eggs. Unless you've seen a hen lay an egg, you won't know the effort that goes into the production of something so common. Hunting and raising your own meat also instills a sense of gratitude for the animals you are consuming. Hello everyone, today we have Suzanne Sherman. She's definitely an inspiration to me in what I hope to be in terms of homesteading and prepping and just being more self-sufficient. Hi, Susan. Hi, how are you, Trisha? I am good and I'm so happy you're here. Um, can you tell us a little bit about you and homesteading and, and you, just your journey? It's been an interesting one. As I was telling you right when we were chatting for the first time, getting to know each other a little bit, I'm originally from an urban setting, much like you are. Mm -hmm. I was born and spent the first eight years of my life in San Francisco in California. And uh, we had a little bit of property there um, on with some tra uh, raised beds and trellises going up a hill. And mm -hmm. I always wanted to garden. So that was always fascinating to me. Um, my parents weren't that into it, but I would always go out into the empty lot that was uh, had a lot of wildlife in it, you know, for a city environment. So I always was attracted to um, kind of combining the wilderness in an urban setting. Mm -hmm. And from there, I moved to um, eventually a, a place in the South Bay area between San Jose and the Gilroy area. And that's where we got some land. And I started my venture into preparedness and growing starting with a garden and then had to expand my knowledge well how do i how do i preserve all this harvest the first year i was literally throwing tomatoes for my labradors who would spread those seeds throughout the yard so i had tomatoes everywhere oh, wow. and i started learning how to preserve food make stocks can food and i found some inspirational sources on social media. I learned a lot from them. And I eventually started homeschooling my two young boys mm -hmm. and really uh, decided I wanted to get away from the life of the processed foods and the, you know, the reliance on the grocery stores and the typical food supply chains. Because we had a few instances out in California where we saw how, how vulnerable it was. Mm -hmm. First, we were uh, subject to the rolling blackouts. I'm sure you've heard about those. Mm -hmm. And then uh, there was uh, weaknesses in the food supply chain, which became apparent when there was a trucker's strike. Mm -hmm. And the grocery store shelves were almost empty. We've had our water go out at times. And I had water ready to, to go. So mm -hmm. just that little bit of preparedness. You know, I, I really wasn't interested in it until I became a mother, even though um, all my life as a little girl, I was terrified of earthquakes. I had always heard that, you know, California is going to end up in the sea. But absent the scientific context, as a little kid, you think it could be any day now. Yeah. So, you know, I, I kind of took that lesson into preparedness as an adult. Whereas you want to you want to focus on what's most likely to affect your life, to interrupt your life as you know it. 
for me, it was earthquakes, and I wanted to have a way to um, continue and have food and reliable sources of shelter for my family and myself. So it wasn't a defining moment. It was just a a long list of things that was happening. Yeah. Decision. Yeah, that's that's a great summary. Um, and I think if you were going to define one sort of a defining moment, I think for a lot of people, for me, it was on 9-11. Mm-hmm. And I realized, you know, as I did more research into it, not getting political, it was just um, a realization that my world wasn't as simple as it seemed to be mm-hmm. for me. And there were other forces that were going to tug at our availability uh, to have, you know, to have food, our ability to travel and that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. that's when I started taking, before that, I started taking the preparedness with regards to the earthquakes. I had two mm-hmm. young boys at the times, at the time, so started putting food away and and that sort of thing. And then I started traveling with them when I was in 2015 I or 2013, I'm sorry, we moved to Utah. Mm-hmm. The uh, California was just getting very expensive, very crowded, and wasn't the environment I wanted to finish raising my boys in. So in 2015, I took them on a journey going uh, all the way to play uh, the far the east coast mm-hmm. and through the south and places of historic significance and what i saw was a lot of misinformation on the part of the national park service on the part of uh, some private entities that were funding um, places like monticello montpelier colonial williamsburg and i started doing podcasts talking about that because mm-hmm. i'm very interested in history i also used to practice law So uh, I studied the Constitution quite extensively. I practiced criminal defense, which has a lot of constitutional implications. And I went on a podcast with a friend of mine just to talk about my experiences. And one thing led to another. And I had my own show on somebody who what I I had always considered a mentor towards for me. Mm-hmm. And after the, a year of that, we decided to start our own little network with a group mm-hmm. of friends of mine and talk about preparedness and politics. Mm-hmm. And I used to combine the two in one show. Ain't no one happy when you try and do that. That's so true. I have I have some people that really like to hear my constitutional perspective with regards to current events. And I do that on a show called The Wasatch Report. I live in the Wasatch Mountains in Utah. And then I have another show called The Red Hot Chili, C-H-I-L-L-Y, mm-hmm. Prepper. And I use chili, C-H-I-L-L-Y, because of the weather here. In fact, here it is spring. It's April and it's we're covered in snow right now. Wow. So, Yeah, so I kind of focus on, you know, the positive aspect of preparedness, not the doom and gloom, doomsday preppers kind of thing, but focusing on what's what's really important for the average person out there. You don't have to go out and buy shipping containers or, you know, have bug out drills with goats and school buses and hazmat suits. But, you know, what can we we as moms do to make our families, you know, more stable in conditions and times of uncertainty? And I think this past year has shown that I think everybody should have an eye towards being a little bit more self-reliant and prepared for uncertainties. Yeah, because not only was it the pandemic, but it was the weather. It was a little bit of everything. It's been the last year and a half, it's been some challenges for us all. And you were mentioning um, political. I think it doesn't matter what party you're you're, uh, for. We all want the same thing. At the end of the day, the bottom line, we all want to love our families and be secure. And, you know, homesteading and, and, and prepping is one, one thing that we all can do. And we all from. 
not only is it beneficial, but it's a coping strategy. I found it's been a great coping mechanism when, you know, you can't go to the restaurants you want to go to. You can't go and see a movie with your friends and family. And, you know, for me, rather than focusing on what we can't do, I thought, well, what can I do? What can I do that's going to be fun, that's going to be inspiring, that's going to be a long-term benefit, mm-hmm. net gain? Well, I might not be able to go to the movies, but uh, I'm gonna. we put raised beds up outside. I'd been meaning to do that for a long time. Mm-hmm. I can go out and enjoy this garden. I can watch the butterflies, the pollinators that come here. We can harvest the, the mm-hmm. you know, fruits of our labor and share those with friends. Rather than going to restaurants, you can share these meals with your friends and have, have your restaurant is on your front porch now. So rather than trying to deal with all the social distancing with everything else may or may not be effective, whatever it is, that's, that's the situation. Mm -hmm. I'd rather just grill on my porch and have friends over and I hunt elk. So I also process my, my own meat. I hunt mule deer and elk. And Mm -hmm. so I do it all that myself. I've learned how to process and, you know, sharing that with my friends and, 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 you know, teaching people, this is a way you can be self-reliant. And, you know, you look at the beginning of the year, everybody was scrambling for toilet paper. Yeah. How unnecessary is that? You know, so I for soap and water. Exactly. And these are the things that if you just make this a part of your life, it doesn't have to take over your life. Mm -hmm. But if you make it a part of your life in a a means that's manageable and doesn't seem like a compulsion or obsession, you know, you're going to skate right through this. We had plenty of all the paper products we needed in the house. Everybody was scrambling for canning jars, canning lids. I'm not a hoarder. But when I go out and I think about it, I'm going to get this. I don't need it now, but I'm going to set it aside. You know, one person actually blamed me. Well, you're the reason I can't find toilet paper. No, you're the reason you can't find toilet paper mm-hmm. because you didn't think ahead. You don't wait till you've got one or two left in the house and then try to get some more. Again, there could be that trucker strike. There could be that tornado that, you know, something that blocked a major interstate, a major thoroughfare stopping that supply chain. And these are all things we need to think about. Um, it, it doesn't, and these are things that are apolitical. This can happen regardless of who's in office, mm-hmm. of what's going on. You know, we've seen a pretty consistent handling of, you know, with the, with COVID this past year, mm-hmm. uh, a restriction on our availability to go out and do things. But, you know, I think what it's shown us is how Exactly. How important it is to have food put away. And one of the things I've said is, you know, for preparedness, start with your inner circle. What's going to affect my family the most? It could be an illness. It Mm -hmm. could be, and not just COVID, but we're talking something like cancer. Mm -hmm. These are diseases that can cause catastrophic financial implications. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't it be nice to know you had plenty of food in your house at this time right now and you Mm -hmm. had put that away? I think what we're seeing also with, um, you know, what I think is going to be pending fiscal situations that we're going to see in our economy. The stock market is soaring right now. It loves, you know, quantitative easing. It loves these big, you know, government spending programs, but it's not sustainable in the long effect. And this is why people need to kind of keep an ear towards what's happening happening politically, because you might... Yeah, you might not be afraid of a, you might not have to worry about a tornado or a hurricane, but guess what? We all use this currency, this United States, in God we trust, legal tender. And as it becomes 
as it loses more and more of its value, we can purchase less and less of it. So strategizing ways to maybe make your food storages go longer. For instance, I, I process elk, I'll ground it up and use it, I'll put it in a pressure canner. And then that's has the purpose of being like cooked hamburger. Mm -hmm. I'll make that go farther. I'll add extra rice or extra beans that can have Mm -hmm. some protein and other vitamins. So just strategies like that to make it go a little bit farther. So basically what I'm hearing, just start from where you at, basically. Yeah. So we're at the grocery store, just grab a little bit more than usual and have that for storage. Is that a good way to start? That's a great way. And I want to just show some sensitivity right now towards people that are struggling. And on my website, SuzanneCSherman.com, I do have a blog on there. It's about prepping on a budget. Uh, A lot of people are struggling right now. A lot of people have lost everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, But for those that can go out and do some shopping, you know, right now you can see a lot of things on sale, canned goods on sale. If you can get one or two whenever you go, it's Mm -hmm. better than doing nothing and saying, I can't do this. Mm -hmm. If you have other, you know, form a community with your friends saying, hey, look, maybe if you can stock up on this kind of thing. I can get another, combine your skills. If you have a skill that's valuable, Mm -hmm. you could be a nurse practitioner, a physician's assistant offer, Mm -hmm. you know, in your community, hey, I can take care of the bumps and bruises, some lacerations maybe. Um, How about you take care of some of my food needs or something like that? There's a great way to form a community, you know, and, and this is why I think it's so important to have preparedness conversations. And when I saw, you know, you're, you're, uh, you're, Uh, link on Facebook, I said, oh, I want to reach out to this gal because I love talking to other people that have podcasts out because there's this adage that's where they say the number one rule of preps, of preparedness, don't talk about your preps. Mm -hmm. Um, Safety issue. Yeah. And, you know, we need to talk about preparedness. Mm -hmm. You don't have to give everybody the grand tour and show them everything you have and where you keep your security measures, so to speak. Um, you know, that's a violation of, of your personal security and your operational security, but you can certainly discuss the concepts and why it's so important to be prepared. And I think this last year has really illustrated it. And I, you know, one, one issue I want to address, which was why I was so happy when I saw your page up there too, was, uh, for people in an urban setting. Mm-hmm. And a lot of I've I've had one friend say, well, I live in a high rise in New York. I can't be prepared. Yeah, actually, you can. In fact, for someone like you, I think it's even more important to be prepared. Mm-hmm. I can go out and forage outside in my neighborhood. My neighbors are a half a mile away. Um, and anybody trying to come up from the city to get food is going to have to deal with mountain lions and coyotes and, you know, in a very inhospitable terrain. But if you're in somewhere like New York City and there's calamity, you don't want to go down to the street and try and find some water or groceries in a situation yeah, where it might can. not be safe. Yeah. So, um, you know, in an urban in an urban setting, this is where it's going to be really important. Grow what you can grow. You know, mm-hmm. if you have a room where you can do some hydrophonics, that's something I would love to do here, mm-hmm. but it would just freeze for me. Mm-hmm. But for people in an urban setting, homesteading, I say also is also a frame of mind. It's mm-hmm. not just what you do. Lifestyle. Are you are you being frugal? 
Are mm-hmm. you throwing away food that you don't need to? Mm-hmm. Maybe you can have a little kitchen top composter and put that in some containers mm-hmm. uh, in your, you know, if you have a balcony or a window that gets some sunshine, something like that. Mm-hmm. So um, knowing how to, you know, how to store food, how to use space that might be limited in a setting like that. I've mm-hmm. even written an article for Survival Dispatch about raising apartment livestock. Mm-hmm. So, you know, because, you know, <laughs> a book too Suzanne right I do yep it's called the lost frontier handbook and this was kind of a cool project it is about the um, the way of life that the pioneers had and taking those ways and applying them today Mm -hmm. so I was really excited when I was approached to be a part of this project and I just added a chapter on chickens okay the physical book is going to be out and uh, that is our, it's already been printed now. The biggest complaint has been that it's been an ebook. But what people have to understand is we have to see what the market's going to do. Mm-hmm. If nobody's interested in the book, there's no point in printing it. Yes, so uh, fortunately, it's done well and it is going to be available in the printed copy. The website is lostfrontierhandbook.com. And I'm really excited about it. Thank you for mentioning it. So what all do you have on your homestead? I know I saw some beautiful horses. In- yeah, <laughs> those are actually my neighbor's horses. Oh, so okay. I am a, I used to ride horses my entire life, um, but I just, I did not bring my horse out here with me when I left California. Okay. He got a forever home that he's going to be doing great in. My boys were 12 and 14 when we moved here and we had no family in the area. So mommy couldn't go to the barn every day when, you know, I'm homeschooling them. And, you know, I just did the best by everybody that we could, but I have chickens. We've had ducks oh. and cats for varmint control. My house used to be overrun with mice. So those are some things you have to think about. Yeah. And that's also in an urban setting as well and um, so and then had dogs those passed away but that's also something that's important it's just uh with the traveling I do I don't really have dogs right now so that's yeah. something to think about in the future and then um a lot of wildlife tons and tons of wildlife here which is really fun to watch I mean I, I get to see things that people might catch on television the other day I was driving home and just as I turn the corner to get to my house, I see these golden eagles all fly up from behind some sagebrush and seeing them fighting, locking talons and spiraling in circles and, you know, seeing just all sorts of animals and how they interact with each other. So that's that's something that's really neat out here, too. But Utah is just a beautiful state. I've been in every part of Utah and you every have- single corner is beautiful. Yes, yes, I have to say I love it here. So I'm right in the corner. If you know where um, Southwest Wyoming kind of pokes that corner, I I'm did. literally right there. Oh, so right. if you've seen that, you've been almost in my backyard. Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was just beautiful everywhere. I was like, this cannot be a part of the earth. It's yeah. that beautiful to me. But I just really appreciate your knowledge. I really, you're actually inspirational to me based on what I saw. I looked at your canning videos um, live when you did your um, live stream. Oh, great. Tell us how can we, you know, find your, um, your sites, your podcasts? Like, where do we go to find Sure. I have a website where I have a lot of published articles. Uh, Those are primarily in the political spectrum. And then on the blogs, I put a lot of my... um, 
preparedness advice, and that's Suzanne, S-U-Z-A-N-N-E, C, initial C, Sherman.com. And then my preparedness show is on Anchor FM. It's called the Red Hot Chili, C-H-I-L-L-Y, Prepper on Anchor FM. And it also has a Facebook page. Uh, the Red Hot Chili Prepper. So uh, I talk about a lot of stuff. My my producer, Jeff Johnson, was canning for the first time ever. So I walked him through uh, that. Because <laughs> I watched I watched the video the first time I, I did it. And I found it to be very helpful. And a good friend of mine who's an author was one of my mentors and sources of inspiration for when I just started. So when she shows up and comes on my show, that's really, you know, fun to see her listening in. And that's why when I saw yours, I was unfamiliar with yours. I really like to reach out to other people yeah, that are doing I this. Because yeah. I'm for you here, like just what you shared today is informative. So like if you live stream, mm-hmm. is that it? Or is there a way we can go back and watch it? You can always see them. Facebook keeps those on the pages and you can scroll down, you can see the live streams. And I would encourage anybody that's interested to give a like and follow our page. Uh, Hit C first. Facebook does like to shadow ban, you know, pages that are getting gaining in popularity. My other page, the Wasatch Report, I had reached a followership, uh, a reach of one million. And then overnight they throttled it back over 99%. So, you know, they don't like us getting too big a reach or being too successful out there unless you're paying and boosting and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And I, 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 I believe you. I believe yeah. You. Yeah. So, I, you know, I think food preservation is a really important aspect of preparedness. Um, I don't have a lot of confidence, especially with, you know, what's going to be going on with limitations of where we may or may not go. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're looking at, you know, a social credit system with regards to vaccines and that sort mm-hmm. of thing. So, you know, I, I'll, I'll put a worst case scenario out there from my perspective is I, I'm going to be prepared to interact with as little as the mainstream population as possible. Yeah. I have a really solid group of friends with great, you know, homestead, yeah. homesteading, preparedness, bushcrafting, yeah. survival skills. And, and you know, I, I'm hoping it doesn't come to the fact that we are going to have to be, you know, segregated from society. It shouldn't mm-hmm. have to be that way. But there are some of us that really want to live a healthy lifestyle and focus on natural remedies and ways to keep ourselves healthy. I haven't had so much as a headache since mm-hmm. this whole thing started. Yet yeah, I'm the one that gets dirty looks if I don't wear the appropriate, you know, attire that people yeah. think that I should be wearing. And, you know, um, you know, I have my own opinions on those. But mm-hmm. there, one of the examples that I had used that I heard somebody else mention now, too, was the same one of the same particles is in these masks. Because I said once upon a time yeah. it was considered safe to put asbestos in your home. Mm-hmm. Well, apparently one of these same fibers or particles was also in asbestos and people mm-hmm. were breathing in throughout. So, you know, again, trying to avoid the need to um, rely also on the medical system Mm -hmm. right now too. natural remedies, good, healthy eating, grow your own food, hunt your food or trade with somebody who hunts. So um, you can, you can feed off of animals that have had a humane existence and not been, you know, raised in, in ways that I've seen and witnessed. And I, I just don't ethically feel like it's a really responsible thing to do. So I have chickens as well, just like you do. I think you said. Yeah. But the confidence it it takes to move from California to Utah, that's huge. Like if someone was just interested 
and just taking the leap of faith like that, what advice do you have? You know what? It's, um, it's, you're the first person to ever pick up on that and to ever ask me about that leap of faith, because it was, it was the scariest thing I've ever done. And I I remember when I came out to look at this house for the first time, Mm -hmm. once I saw it uh, that night before I drove back to California, I didn't sleep. I was hoping that I would see it and go, nope, that's not going to work. Nope, not happening. I'm going to go back now to my my little, you know, secure place, my comfort zone, mm-hmm. and stay there. Even though the taxes were outrageous, the bills were outrageous, everything was so expensive and unpleasant. And once I saw that, I thought, oh, what am I going to do now? I really want to make this happen. Mm-hmm. And uh, so not only was I leaving, <clears throat> you know, all the family I had, my boy's dad ended up making it out here. So now we're all you know, back out here, which is really nice. But my family was out there Mm -hmm. and leaving that for an area where I had no neighbors. I didn't know anybody Mm -hmm. in a area that is tough to live. I mean, we can get to 25 below out here, Mm -hmm. uh, snow. I've been snowed in before and that's why I prepare too. Uh, Mm -hmm. the first winter I was snowed in, my neighbors were asking if I wanted them to dig me out. And I just said, nope, I'm good. I'm happy. But, um, you know, there comes a point where you do have to get out and do things. And, but I'm essentially as off grid as I can be. I've got propane and I can shut it all off if I need to, you know, Mm -hmm. technically they make you stay hooked up to everything. So, Mm -hmm. um, but it was very, very scary, uh, to see this place that was off on its own. But the odd thing is I feel safer than I ever did here in California. Mm -hmm. We don't have the residential burglaries up here. This Mm -hmm. is a tight-knit community where people do rely on each other more. So one thing that I've noticed people also doing is moving out to the country from from urban areas, and justifiably so. Mm -hmm. But you got to know what you're looking for. If you're going to do this, don't overestimate your abilities. If you know there are certain things you can't do, there's no shame in that. It's better... Mm -hmm to recognize that and plan accordingly than to move to a place and go, I can't do this. I have to leave. And then you've wasted a lot of time and effort Mm -hmm. and uh, that could be kind of heartbreaking. So, you know, I started, you know, where we started in the conversation simply, what do I need to do right now? I'm going to have a little duffel bag of food supplies by Mm -hmm. our, you know, by the door so we can get out if we need to. Mm-hmm. The boys, we knew sa- we had safety drills in case there was an earthquake. We knew we had a safe meeting place in the backyard, where to go, mm-hmm. where not to go, shoes by the bed. Then it's like, well, maybe I'll plant some tomatoes. Maybe I'll plant some other foods. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm going to put some water aside, right. like you said, and soap and water. One trick that I I started doing was whenever a bottle of dish soap or shampoo mm-hmm. or any kind of liquid soap would be emptied, I'd just pour more water mm-hmm. into that. And there's my hygiene water. Mm-hmm. So if you ever come up with a situation like that, you don't have to use valuable water mm-hmm. for drinking or cooking on getting clean. That water's already there. You can clean dishes with it, that sort mm-hmm. of thing. So I thought, you know, I'm going to plan around the basic things I'm going to need. And so with the food and everything started growing my tomatoes and that, and then Mm -hmm. that's when I learned how to do the, excuse me, the pressure canning and putting away supplies and 
combining my food storage and then also practicing having what you want to have on hand. I wrote an article about the well-stocked pantry. Mm -hmm. If you just have some basics on hand and it turns out, well, you can't go to the, go to the store. There's either a storm or there's been a tornado or hurricane. I think you're out in the area where they they can have some hurricanes and wires are down. Yeah. You need to stay home. Mm -hmm. So here's all the food you need. Now, tornadoes, I just missed, I was in Birmingham a couple years ago and I missed them mm-hmm. by one day and I was just in Nashville. Then the day after I left, everything flooded. So if I ever come to your state, you better be ready because it seems like disaster follows in my wake. <laughs> well, I'll be ready. I definitely <laughs> wouldn't mind um, visiting you one, one day just, just to get a, the Breathe Utah's air because it's, it's, it's a little different. It seemed different. It's like everything just opened up when I was there. The times I've been there, I've been there a lot. So it's just, it's just a beautiful state. I don't think I will personally ever move there, but to visit, it's an awesome state. I never imagined myself being here. In fact, I took a firearms class when I still lived in California because again, crime was really rising in my area and I was with my boys and I wanted to be able to defend them. And it turned out the class was actually a Utah concealed carry class. And this Mm -hmm. was out in California Mm -hmm. and they would do your fingerprints and do everything. All you had to do was submit your papers. Well, I just wanted to learn the basics about a handgun Mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. I knew nothing about them. I didn't own one at the time. And I never set my forms in they said oh if you get this utah concealed carry you can carry in 31 other states blah 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 well california had no reciprocity with utah so there was no point and i thought well when am i ever going to utah so Mm -hmm. i never sent it in so utah just it was was meant to be be. Mm -hmm. yep yep it was and i looked in southern utah and i just ended up living in the mountains and you know, yeah. experiencing seasons in California, we just didn't really have these significant changes yeah. in the seasons. So our seasons, there were, you know, fires, floods, earthquakes, and riots. Yeah. So it's really nice to experience weather and the season. And the people, honestly, are just a lot nicer to each other as well yeah. once you get out of there. So I'm happy I'm here. Did you plan? Like, did you visit a couple of times or you just took the plunge? I had been here, I had taken the boys on a trip to Southern Utah and we had seen that that area. And then I had also done this trip in Wyoming and it was run by um, a lot. It was all run by LDS. And so it was a camping trip in the Targhee National Forest. And I was keeping in in touch with one of the workers from there. And he had suggested this town. I said, look, we want to move. I really like Utah. I'd looked at Arizona and Nevada, and it wasn't really what I was looking for. And when he mentioned this town, I just did a query, and the property popped right yeah. up. And you've seen the pictures. Yes. And I fell in love with it. And once I came out to look was when I thought, oh, no, this is really going to work. It's going it's yeah. to actually happen for me. So, again, you know, I chose a place where I have to be pretty self-reliant. I have no homeowners association that's plowing my driveway or anything like that. Um, you know, and we just had to know that you have to be pretty self-reliant. You can't be very squeamish and you're going to deal with a lot of wildlife. Some of it can be pretty scary. I've had bull moose right up to my, my front porch 
looking in my window. And to me, those animals are more intimidating and more dangerous than the mountain lions we have here. Had the mountain lion tracks right past my bedroom window. So it's, it's a different kind of life and you have to be okay with knowing you're going to be out here by yourself and hear some crazy things at night. Well, you, you're downplaying a lot because you've done a lot of courageous things and you're just talking right through it. First <laughs> of all, the plunge to move, is that going to be your forever home, Utah, where you at now? You know, I thought my home in California was as well. I, I never thought I would leave that place. I did a big kitchen remodel. I thought I'll be here. I'm leaving feet uh -huh. first. Um, as of now, I have no plans to leave this. This is a really unique property. And if things yeah. get worse, I would like my boys, my family to have a place to get to yeah. that's safe. So you could say I chose a bug out location as okay. my as my home. And I think in that sense, it has a lot of value. And I, I can't see me ever giving up this peace and quiet. I have just but really the, enjoyed the, it. The most brave thing I've heard so far, well, one of the most brave thing is that you hunt. Like, that's amazing to me itself. Like, I'm still trying to figure out how to harvest my one of my chickens. I, I haven't gained the courage yet. I can't do that. Really? <laughs> I can't do Oh no, I don't do that. I said when I got my my chickens, okay, mm -hmm. they stop laying eggs in the pot they go. Yeah. Oh no, they got names, they come in my house. Oh <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I don't. I mean, I will I will dispatch one if it's suffering. Okay. Um I've had them when they've been gravely ill with an upper respiratory and they are suffering mm -hmm. and they will be put out, you know, humanely and quickly, mm -hmm. but to just harvest one so I can process and cook it. I, yeah, you know, I thought I was too. And you know, the fortunate thing is I just, I really don't need to, I think if I, if I had a, you know, a spouse partner here mm -hmm. doing this with me, I would happily be the, the woman who does all the cooking, clean it up, you know, I'll even butcher it, just do the deed, just make it unrecognizable. Yeah. And then I will, I will do that. I have just found that I haven't had the need to eat my chickens. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure if I did, if I got to the point where 20 chickens is going to save my life, I'm eventually yeah. dead anyway. But yeah. it's, I will have to say this, um, hunting is a bittersweet thing. The first time I shot an elk, and I approached this magnificent animal and it was during the late season harvest where it's a depredation hunt. It's, you know, it's controlled by biologists in the state and they know that these cows are pregnant. Um, as a mom, I could tell she was pregnant and I really had a connection there and I cried and I still, I don't, you know, you'll go, yeah, I got the shot. Mm -hmm. But when you approach that animal, it's a time of reverence. Mm -hmm. um, I will do a prayer of gratitude. I will mm -hmm. apologize to the animal, thank the yeah. animal. I mean, I get a lump in my throat thinking about it. Yeah. Um, I think if anybody doesn't feel that, there's probably something wrong. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's, that's how I feel. I feel that there's a deep respect and yeah. you also understand. to be there. You understand what the animal gave up so you could eat. We were in, um, and this is also in the promotional materials for the, for the book. I told the story. We were in a steakhouse where it was a buffet, all you can eat. And I would tell my boys, you can, if you want to leave some other food, that's fine. But you will not leave meat behind. Mm -hmm. If Don't take what you can't eat. And then if you put too much on there, you're going to finish it. An animal died 
-hmm. so you can do this. And animals, you know, life doesn't leave the body easily. Um, You know, it's it's a hard thing to see sometimes, especially Mm -hmm. when you hunt big game. It's not always one shot, one kill. We try to do the right thing and Mm -hmm. make sure they don't suffer. But sometimes they do. Mm -hmm. And you want to make sure it ends quickly. Um, but when you see the, you know, when you actually see the result of that, you want to make sure that you use all the animal as well. Uh, I, I make stock with my elk. I throw very little away. Um, I'll make food for my chickens and, and that for them as well. I have friends that also hide, uh, use the hides and that. And so, you know, we use a lot of material out there. I mean, I was out my neighbors were actually processing some cows and I'm literally standing among these big piles of guts everywhere on the hides. And I point to where the tail is. I said, that's oxtail in there. You don't want to throw that away. Yes. We, we skin those out and I ate them. That was literally in a pile of garbage. To oh, be wow. I said, no, you don't want to waste that. And it was interesting seeing them butcher the cows because mm-hmm. They die so quickly. It's almost like the body doesn't know. Mm-hmm. And I, I was sure the cow was still alive and it wasn't. And even when it was all quartered up, the muscles were still contracting and moving as it went into the cooler. Yeah. So, you know, when you see this, it becomes so important to realize how, what, what, a, what a, um, a travesty and what a shame it is to see the food that's wasted. And, you know, you have, e- you have chickens too. You've mm-hmm. seen them lay their eggs. That's yeah. some work. You know, and then you, you see how, how, how hard these chickens work. And you think about kids just throwing eggs at houses and cars. Yes. You know? yes. It's like, no, an animal worked really hard to lay that egg. We take things I mean, like we that. See it every day, just in general, people take it for granted that the food that they're throwing away, it took a lot to prepare it. Yeah. It came from somewhere. So it's just a journey in terms of when that food hits your plate. Yeah. Absolutely. And something sacrificed one way or another. Mm -hmm. So you could get it. You know, if you're a vegan, when that soy was being, you know, the soil was being tilled for that soy, uh, animals are being tilled up with it as well. So, you know, it is an ethical consideration. Again, the homesteading mentality. Are Mm -hmm. you wasting food? Are you making the most of what you have? And and uh, are you saving things that could be useful? Are you prepared if something happens in your if you're in an urban setting? One thing I like to tell people, because I always think of my friend that lives in the high rise was, Mm -hmm. you know, think of what's going to happen to your plumbing. If you Mm -hmm. are connected to sewage, you're in a common building like this and things start backing up. Mm -hmm. What can you do to stop that water from coming in and the raw sewage? And also, so I tell people get a, when you're, when everybody else is looking for toilet paper, Mm -hmm. you're under the sporting goods or the toy department. Yeah. And find a find a Nerf football, shove that down that toilet and block mm-hmm. it so sewage can't yeah. come up, you know, okay. unless it gets too under pressure. I tell people also think about items that you take for granted, just like the food that we throw away, mm-hmm. items yeah. that you would really miss if you couldn't get them anymore. Here's mine. I'll just buy uh-huh. packs of readers yeah. at Walmart. Yeah. So I have these. You know, imagine if you're in a point in your life where you can't get more reading glasses, but you've got all this gear, you know, stored up. Now you need it and you can't read the directions, which right. is another reason why I like to learn how to use my things, why I learn how to do these skills before it's actually go time. I can't imagine trying to 
uh, skin a large animal and process mm -hmm. it for the first time when I'm under the duress of not having food or my you know, kids are hungry. What are we going to do? We've got to try and get the family all together. You don't need that other kind of pressure. That That's needs right. to be something that you go out there and do. So when people say, well, why do you hunt when you can still get food? Because there might be a time when I can't get food That's and I right. want to know how to do this. And foraging, you know, that's something people can can learn. And, you know, talking to people also that are in either an urban or a suburban environment, you know, looking at if you have a lawn mm -hmm. and you're on your property, don't spray those dandelions. First of mm -hmm. all, you're polluting, you know, your own resources, especially if you're on a well by putting that spray on there. You know, I had somebody look at my lawn and goes, oh, go to the county, get some spray for those dandelions. Are you kidding? That is a resource here. Yeah, that's food. That, that's tea. That that's, is, that's a lot. Yes. Yes. And why do I want my chickens eating on the lawn that has been poisoned, by mm -hmm. the way? I don't think we really take into consideration a lot of people that have lawns. Uh, oh, yeah, we're getting our lawns treated, what they're doing to their environment. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about this the other day. You know, why aren't our pets living as long? When I was a little girl, my dog lived till he was 17. Oh, yeah. Mine are living till 9, 10. 7, yeah. Seven. I just, my, my cat just died. He wasn't even seven years old. Congestive heart failure. Uh, there are so many toxins, I think, in the food that you purchase for them. Uh, you know, the, the store-bought foods, the chemicals that are on the lawns, all the mm -hmm. cleansers, things that we use in the house. They walk on, you know, their pads absorb mm -hmm. everything we that yeah. you know that we put out there all mm -hmm. this sanitizer we're rubbing all over our mm -hmm. bodies antibacterial soap mm -hmm. you know it's and people are probably thinking well, come on Suzanne is there anything you're okay with that we're doing out here you know and and I would have to say yeah it's getting back to nature simple yeah because ingredients. so our great 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 grandparents lived a little bit longer it seems like they lived a longer, I'm not saying all the way down on my, you know, ancestors, but I mean, starting from a certain point, longevity started to occur until I'm going to say the last 50 years. Yeah. And, you know, um, something else I thought about that is people might be living longer, but what's the quality of the life? Yeah. And that's something I've given a lot of consideration to seeing what happened to my mom. Uh, she got Parkinson's and the last, I would say, nine years of her life were absolute misery. And she was, um, you know, held captive by the pharmaceutical industry. Mm -hmm. I tried to say, look, you're in California. We could try some cannabis here to help her yeah. with some of this anxiety. No, the doctors would have none of it. Um, and I'm convinced that she really followed the 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 FDA and USDA, the food mm -hmm. guidelines, very little fat, uh, lots of fruit. I mean, you know, what we need and we're seeing now is a lot of fat and a lot of protein in our diets. We don't need all these, you know, the fat-free salad dressings and the sugar substitutes, that sort of thing. And, you know, fat-free means a lot of sugar. And people not taking care of themselves. I think we're seeing people met be living longer, but they're living with chronic illness. Yeah. And I think as being somebody of a, somebody wants to be a minimalist, my strategy is to be as healthy as I can, have the most healthful living situation mm -hmm. and uh, the most wholesome foods, work no, out, exercise. What I, what I meant to say, I'm not sure if I said, is that we're not living as long. 
Oh, as long. As okay. Long. Okay. Yeah. And we're, and you know, in the, some cases, if the people are living longer, it would be with chronic disease and they're yeah. being propped up. Pharma pharmaceuticals. Different. Yeah. Yeah. If I had a choice, I'll give up a few years and be productive and go out on my own terms, you know, uh, as opposed to doing that. And I think that's part of what preparedness helps us for as well, because I think you can appreciate what you're able to do and have a better self, uh, sense of fulfillment and acceptance over what you can't control. Look, I've yeah. done everything that I can here. I'm not going to sit here and wring my hands about an earthquake yeah. like I used to do when yeah. I can do something about it. Yeah. So, but you know, you I, know, Suzanne, you're in an environment where, first of all, you're in a beautiful state. You, you, you're isolated already. So you don't have to go through what, say for me, example, I'm in Atlanta, Georgia. It's so popular. It's like I'm most overly populated here. So I can't walk to my local, um, go to my corner store. It's still about, I'm going to say 10 people minimum in a small corner store. So it's important. I guess we do have to take different measures, I think. Yeah. And that's why in a situation like yours and mine as well, community is so important. Mm -hmm. uh, talking to your neighbors, because you have to also realize in a congested area, if things get dicey, there are going to be a lot of people who haven't prepared um, and they're going to be opportunistic and yeah. predatory. And yeah. this is why it's so important to come up with that community mm -hmm. where you look out for each other. Uh, people take care of security. You might have people that are, you know, military, law enforcement training, EMT training, firefighters. You'll have your carpenters, people just in your community, electricians that can keep things going, people mm -hmm. that like to garden, people that like to can. Um, you know, I had a friend that lived through Hurricane Katrina and mm -hmm. their community for three weeks, they had no running water and mm -hmm. no electricity. Well, they had some folks that were able to get some pumps going. One might have had the shower that was able to go. Yeah. Uh, they had the generators. They cooked their food and they also looked out for each other. So when people mm -hmm. have that community and they're looking out for each other, they're going to be a lot more resilient to those that are going to try and capitalize on somebody else's misfortune. And I'm not talking about some, you know, militant type survivalist group, mm -hmm. but just a group of people in a community yeah. that can, you know, keep the kids engaged with a type of a homeschool situation. Mm -hmm. uh, not where they're all sitting there in books, but learning some skills. And that's what yeah. I did with my boys. I, I unschooled them and homeschooled yeah. them. And, and teach them the things that are going to be, you know, really valuable in life. We're seeing a lot of, um, a lot of indoctrination in the school system. And these kids come out not knowing how to change a tire or read an, or, or read an actual map. They want directions. They'll pump gas. They'll look on their phones. <laughs> you, have you seen a lot of these commercials on television, too, where people just brag about not knowing how to cook? I saw one. It was uh, supposedly in a workroom, uh, a break room, mm -hmm. and this gal was sitting there with this beautiful meal, and they're all just amazed, thinking that maybe she cooked that on her own. And the answer was, oh, of course she didn't. She bought it from a freezer, you know. Mm -hmm. So it was like, it's so accepted that people don't even know how to cook. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately, I think a lot of women in particular um, are, have, have been taught that, you know, cooking is not a virtuous endeavor. Mm -hmm. It's more important to have a career than it is to nurture your yeah. family. And I'm really old fashioned that way. I, I am, I am mm -hmm. my happiest when I am sharing what I have grown and what I can cook yeah. 
with my friends. To me, that's a very worthwhile, um, you know, um, endeavor. Uh, And I think it's just something that your family will appreciate. But unfortunately, society is being led away from that. Oh, you can't get food? We'll just ship it straight to your door. You don't want to read a recipe? We'll send you all the ingredients. All you have to do is just, you know, maybe read the instructions and throw it in a pan. And that is the culinary experience, unfortunately, that is being deemed acceptable. Well, what about when the shipments stop? Oh, it has. The pan, you know, it took a whole month just to get the slightest thing. Yeah, yeah. And then, oh, DoorDash. You know, so everybody's talking mm-hmm. about being healthy. Everybody's talking about not getting sick. But how many ads for fast foods took over the airwaves? Mm-hmm. And by the way, you don't even have to come out. We'll bring it right to your door. Or you drive out and we'll bring you this food with the gloves mm-hmm. and our masks and put it in the back of your car. And that garbage they're putting in your car is probably the worst thing for you. I'll take my chances with Corona mm-hmm. over Big Macs on once yeah. a week basis, you know. Okay. So that's what I think a lot of people are are missing out on. And I'm hoping more people will want to learn about being prepared and being self-reliant, I think mm-hmm. the government, the tech industries in particular, mm-hmm. the news agencies, um, regardless of how you feel about, you know, the virus that's going around uh, and how much of a risk it is to you, you have to take into consideration the motives of those that are trying to keep people scared. Mm-hmm. This has been a fantastic year for these people. They have gotten increasingly monumentally wealthy over this. Mm-hmm. And look at the people that are suffering. The okay. small businesses, the mom yeah. and dad businesses. So, you know, now I think, you know, before when I talk about preparedness, I talk about, you know, look at, look at the weather patterns, look at the geo, um, you know, the geographic issues like I had in um, geological issues in California, earthquakes, or, you know, losing your job, something like that. Now we've got a whole nother group of challenges. Mm-hmm. And that is a, uh, a group of very wealthy, very elite mm-hmm. individuals and organizations who are profiting on this. And I think uh, those are something to take into consideration for being prepared. Look, these people want this kind of turmoil. They want people fighting against each other. They want people to be scared and viewing unmasked people with suspicion. So the way to get around that is, you know what? I'm going to turn off the corporate media. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be out in my garden instead. I'm going to have people come over instead and garden with me. I have drum circles here. We grill out here and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, just do outdoor gatherings. That might mean you're not going on that, you know, on that cruise Mm -hmm. or, you know, that big concert or something. But there are a lot of other opportunities to find joy out there. And I think, you know, finding joy and finding that sense of peace comes from being self-reliant and not, oh, wow, DoorDash isn't going to get here. What do I do? My food delivery isn't coming. What do I do? Mm -hmm. And it's not too late for people to start, but they have to understand, look at history right now Mm -hmm. and let's see how people have struggled and how can we also come together as a community and even support each other's endeavors and small businesses Mm -hmm. where you can trade, barter, with these people and help people and you Mm -hmm. know that keeps it off the books it's none of the government's business if we're trading eggs for tomatoes with people Um, but that's something I think in my area it seems to be a a loss of community like you can live years next to someone and still don't know their name so I'm hoping 
especially with my platform and especially yours as well, that we learn how to go knock on our neighbor's door, figure out who we live in next to. We don't know the backgrounds of people and they say it's none of our business, but it actually is, especially if you have children around. It's, it's our business to know who we're le- le- I mean, living around. Yeah. And, and not only just our business, but, you know, it's a matter of human decency. Don't you just, you know, I, I've done, I've done shows before where um, a man literally lost his home because of fines, because his grass got too long. Mm. He had a death in the family, had to go deal with an estate out, you know, out in another state. And how about as a neighbor, you go check on him yourself instead mm-hmm. of calling the police and saying yeah. the lawns to the, the lawn doesn't look good. Yeah. Or maybe, I don't know, push a mower across mm-hmm. it yourself. Mm-hmm. Hey, do you need food? Do you need something yeah. like this? Mm-hmm. And you don't see it in my travels now. I, I just don't see people outside in the front. I love the idea of porches and these little porches on the front of the houses because that gets people outside and they talk and they wave to their neighbors. I mean, I, I can, I can go out here and walk for an hour and a half and not see a single person. But the other day when we were burning the grass at the top of my fields, you know, my neighbors came up, we're all sitting out there on side, side by sides and you know, the ATV four wheelers, I got my little tractor and drove up there. And that's a community, it can be as large or as small as you want it to be. But especially when you're, when you know, you're condensed in an urban setting is where you really need to have your friends and support Mm -hmm. each other. And again, without showing everybody what you have, this is all my food. You can talk about the concepts of why it's important to be prepared. How can you build a pantry that will work for you? Here's a combination of foods I have. You don't have to take them into your pantry and show them everything you have, but then share skills. We've got a wilderness group out here in Utah where they get together and have classes on carving, on making pottery, Mm -hmm. on all these uh, shelter building, all these other skills. And uh, go to some of these gatherings where you can learn about fermenting foods and making Mm -hmm. soaps, things like that. There are a lot of opportunities out here that, you know, you can can do something like that because you might not be able to go to a concert. You might not be able to go to these big events. Mardi Gras was canceled. Yeah. so, I mean, you just, you just don't know, but these are the things that you control is your, you can work with your neighbors, work with people in your community. And, uh, you know, I, I, I like the day, I like the thought of people actually knocking on each other's doors to borrow something or just to visit yeah. and talk. So, you know, in California, when I lived there and I was a little girl in San Francisco, we played up and down the neighborhood, you mm-hmm. know, and it was just a great setting and you just don't see kids out doing that now. Since the pandemic, I've seen uh, a a large uh, number of children riding bikes again in mm-hmm. my community. Anyway, I see people um, on roller skates yeah. now. So, I mean, if anything positive came out the pandemic, it gave us a sense of outdoors, of wanting to be outside versus you know being cooped up in the house because we're so restricted in terms of where we can go in terms of restaurants and, like you said, large events and things like that. So. Yeah, I think I think maybe people just got a little complacent playing their video games. And, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you can be talking to somebody in South Africa on another, you know, every day and not mm-hmm. know your neighbor's names and never talk to them. And yes. I've been guilty of that. You know, when I lived in California, I had neighbors that I really didn't communicate with or talk to yeah. very much. So, uh, you know, I think community having what you need uh, and then also the mindset, well, of not being a, a, of not being afraid 
of trying yeah. new things. And as you picked up on um, moving out here and not knowing anybody uh, was the craziest thing that, you know, people thought I could ever do that. And then homeschooling my kids. Oh my gosh, how are you going to do that? And, you know, I tried it their way and I had mine yeah. in a public or private, private school for a little bit. And even mm -hmm. a private school, I thought <clears throat> this isn't what active boys need. They mm -hmm. need to be out and, and uh, do the gardening, do these things and go out and travel. Um, are you still practicing law? No, no. I stopped that when I was in California. Um, I use, <clears throat> excuse me, I use the experience to talk about a lot of the <clears throat> situations that are going on right now um, with Supreme Court cases. I was just on a nationally syndicated show last week talking about the uh, Ch uh, Chauvin trial, Derek Chauvin trial, mm -hmm. uh, giving some of my my take on that as well. So, uh, you know, it comes in like, handy. What was your take on that? Um, I, I thought it was horrible. You know, I, what I'm trying, what I try to do is give, uh, is, is approach things from a position of uh, what I call detached fascination. But when we're talking yeah. about a person on the ground, um, struggling for their breath and then ultimately dying after mm -hmm. eight minutes and I think 46 seconds, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, my last take on it was, okay, here's the defense is going to say he followed standard police procedure. If standard police procedure is kneeling on somebody's neck once they've been handcuffed, yeah. we need to change standard police procedure. Rather than changing standard police procedure, what I think we're going to see is them happily throw Chauvin under the bus mm -hmm. and not change anything. And mm -hmm. what I had said here, too, was on the night before the jury trial, mm -hmm. they, they offered now a third-degree murder and I think manslaughter options for the jury because I said I think they'll never get murder too. They're not going to, and I think they could probably plead it down to manslaughter. That being said, I, I think um, everybody's had enough of seeing this. And when we're talking about, you know, what had originally happened, he tried to spread a counterfeit, you know, spend a, a counterfeit $20 bill. Mm -hmm. Is that really worth losing your life over? Um, the gentleman in New York whose name eludes me right now, Garner, I think it was, who was selling a cigarette out of the pack. Mm -hmm. Well, he didn't die because of that. He, he died because he resisted. Is this really worth the conflict, the controversy? Is selling a cigarette outside of its package really worth police intervention? He's yeah. selling it to willing customers. Mm -hmm. I think we need, I think we need um, a lot less laws that involve law enforcement officers with the public. And until that happens, we're just going to keep seeing more of the same. So yeah. um, I think it's a really unfortunate incident. And, you know, I think one of the things the defense is saying, and we're hearing a lot of uh, people out there. So, well, he had fentanyl in his system and his lungs were already full and he died anyway. If mm -hmm. you can't draw any kind of a correlation and no causation whatsoever between being in that physical condition and having somebody kneel on your neck, cutting off your blood supply. Uh, I think, you know, you're a little bit biased towards one side if you can't see that. And, you know, the other thing is, well, he was going to die anyway because he was overdosing. Well, saying somebody was going to die anyway, that's the definition of murder. <laughs> Regardless, we're all going to die anyway. So I think it's a horrible situation. Um, and I hope we see some changes in that because that's not helping the community as well. Yeah. So sorry, I didn't mean want to be, get too political in that. No, but, I mean, know. but I mean, you're you're the person to ask in terms of you practice law. 
So I just was curious about your view about it. And, you know, you know, you know, in my eyes, it doesn't take me to have a law degree in my eyes. It was just murder. Yeah. And, you know, the same thing. I had a huge departure with uh, a lot of conservatives over Breonna Taylor because there was this ridiculously stupid Mm -hmm. meme going around. She wasn't an EMT. She was fired. Oh, well, then by all means, kill her. And she wasn't in bed. She was in the hallway. Oh, by all means, then shoot her Mm -hmm. in her house in the middle of the night. And, you know, these are the things that are going to have to change. We're going to see social unrest will be another reason why people need to be prepared. How nice, yeah, how nice it would be to have that taken off our list of things to have to prepare for, Mm -hmm. you know, and then from the other standpoint too, is the way the media addressed, you know, how they address these, the, the, the responses to some of these events and some of the riots that we've seen in Portland and Washington going on and Antifa. And, you know, you've got the the corporate media referring to these people as protesters, but then you have these clowns in Washington, D.C. on January 6th. All of a sudden now it's a riot and it's a threat to the yeah. government. The most powerful military in the entire universe and this clown in a, with a spear and horns on his head is somehow considered a threat. You know, um, you know, it's just a, a discrepancy. I think the media is trying to feed a lot of this. Yeah. They're trying to feed one I'm side and the other. Is, um, I don't know how this latest trial is going to go. Um, but, you know, I think it's going to be a civil unrest if this guy walks free. And I think they know that. Yeah. I And I, I think as well, I honestly thought Louisville was going to burn after what happened mm-hmm. uh, and, and nothing happened after that. So we'll yeah. have to see. Um, I think it's, I, again, I, I find it very troubling to see the force that can be used against people for that. And I get very frustrated with the, well, just don't because resist crowd. I take that back. I think um, I, I can speak for the, for the black community. We're so used to police officers walking free after they murder one of our own. It may not be a civil unrest. It's just business as usual. Because we're so comfortable and used to it. We expect it. Yeah, and you know, I think it's going to take people hearing the perspective of those that are affected by this. And to hear somebody say, yeah, we're just used to this. um, that's, that's, That's really sad. And I think, you you know, a lot of people are very okay with the police state until it turns on, until it turns to them. So I I really, I I don't think, I think for us, we, we, we are beginning to understand that rioting doesn't work. You know, begging the laws to change in our favor doesn't work. So I think the, the best thing for, for our community to do is just work behind the scenes and become a little bit stronger and do that's, things a little bit different. That's a great point. And that's really what I try to do as well. One of the things I do appear, <clears throat> you know, I find a lot of the laws are just ridiculous. Yeah. So I try to ignore them as best I can. Um, the problem is when you're just going about your day, I mean, when I practice law in California, we call them DWBs and uh, DWMs, driving while black and driving while Mexican. So you see oh, a, that a thing. Uh, that's what we call it. That's not the real, you know, name no, for it. But not a called it that. Oh, though we would call it that. Lawyers would call it that. Well, why'd they get? Why'd he get pulled over? He was DWB driving oh, all okay. black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you see a a, a big disparity 
and how these laws are impacted. And that was one of the big reasons I was so disconcerted, you know, with the choice of, you know, the running mate in this election was this is a woman who's done unspeakable damage to the black community, as has, by the way, um, Joe Biden with with his civil asset forfeiture, the crime bill mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. And that's what's that's what I just don't understand is all these people cheering them on when they've done so yeah. much more damage. I mean, I, again, I don't. I mean, I guess I can speak a little bit about that. It was more so anybody but Trump in our world. Yeah, yeah. So Kamala could have been a a prostitute on the street and we still would have voted for her. Yeah. Anybody but Trump. That's just how we felt. I'm just being honest. I can speak for a a large community of us. Of course, there's um, African-American conservatives. There's African-Americans who were for Trump. But there was no way we can be for somebody who we felt was always against us. Mm-hmm. Now, here, I'm going to ask you, because I, my perspective, again, my life experiences are different mm-hmm. from your community. Yeah. Um, to me, I felt like he was going out of his way to pander to the black community. I want to make American cities safe for African-Americans. I want to help the, the African-Americans and, you know, all this. And it seems strange to me that they would turn their backs and go for anybody but Trump when there was a ticket with a proven history of deep harm to the black community. Right. I mean, again, but I I mean, I hear you and I see what you're saying from your point of view and the way you live life. But at the end of the day, I'm just going to say this without being too political. We don't trust anybody. Democrat or Republican. So it's not so much that we so for the uh, Democrats that we wanted Trump out. We just yeah. trying to vote for the person that benefit us without the discrimination because it was just really clear to us where Trump stood in terms of race. Interesting. So, I mean, regardless yeah. of regard, I mean, you know, that's that's just a few actions you're yeah. referring to that you said he went out of his way to benefit the black community. But we we watch who you are and, and how you move and what you do. You know what I mean? And, and it was just clear to us, in my opinion, and that's pretty 99% of the people that I know personally, that he wasn't for uh, the black community when you for racist people. You can't have a bunch of racist people around you, for you, work for you, sitting beside you, and then say you're for the black community. That don't even make sense. Yeah. And I think, you know, what I, my approach. Racism. What was that? He incited a a lot of things that were uh, against the black community. But, you know, you're sitting in a different, you're sitting in a different point of view and I get it and I understand it and I also respect it but I'm just you know well, one thing that I what that he had said that I found to be very disconcerting was um <clears throat> when he was calling out for execution for the death penalty for yeah. anybody killing a police officer and I thought my god if and I I, I wasn't prepared I forgot uh Priyana's boyfriend's name Taylor was it I don't remember the name now I know you um, but when he shot that police officer in self-defense, mm-hmm. if that officer had died, he could have been charged with the death penalty for protecting his home and his loved one. 
And that I found to be very disconcerting as well. So mm. I'm not I'm not trying to come out and because I was very critical of him during his tenure. Believe me, I lost a lot of friends and followers by trying yeah. to be objective. And yeah. I think a lot of people have reason to distrust this government. I think a lot of us are being used as lab rats right mm-hmm. now. And this is something that I've talked about on my shows before. Um, you know, I kind of laugh at the general government saying, well, we want to make sure that the black community gets the shots yeah. first. Oh, and, well, you know, that's Iggy. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> we know you go first. Yeah, <laughs> not- we don't want to go first. You know, they offered that to uh, uh, Africa, too, first. Yeah. And African governments was like, no, you tried first. But, you know, that just... I mean, that's just another conversation that we definitely can have. My whole platform is not for any government. It's just for us to become self-sufficient, self-reliant, do things on our own in case of a catastrophe, whether it's a civil unrest, whether it's the weather, whether it's, it's anything. You know what I mean? Because if we're all in a position where um, something hits the fan, we, we all our needs are going to be the same. Absolutely. Everybody needs to eat. Everybody wants their kids and their family safe. We need shelter. We need water. And yeah. we don't want people hurting us. And, you know, this whole thing with the government, if you take in, it, you know, I'm, I'm really a voluntarist. And one of the things yeah. that really irks me is the misuse of the word anarchy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're seeing these people that are committing unspeakable harm uh, against people and property, and they're being labeled as anarchists. Anarchy literally means without a leader. Right. It doesn't mean no rules. It mm-hmm. doesn't mean no structured society, but it's yeah. structured society without the coercion without the threat of being killed, if maybe you're driving and you're pulled over because your signal light isn't working, supposedly, wink, wink, and somebody smells alcohol or marijuana. Mm -hmm. Um, Or, you know, I mean, I heard a good discussion. Um, There's a libertarian out here in in, uh, Utah by me who also said, and again, I don't subscribe to any political party because that means I'm looking towards the state to solve any problems. But the way he described the difference, like uh, at a gay pride event out here, he okay. said, look, one, one side says you can't marry. Mm-hmm. The other side says, yeah, go ahead, you can. The yeah. rest of us are saying, you don't need to ask anybody's permission. Do what you're going to do. Right. And that's really where I am. I want the government out of marriage. I want the government out of a lot of these things. And as a community of volunteerists with bartering and mm-hmm. working together, yeah. uh, working with cash, working with each other, I want the government out of my life as mm-hmm. much as humanly possible. Because if we can do that, a lot of these problems go away. They want us pitted against each other for mm-hmm. whatever, on whatever, uh, you know, based on religion or color or anything else, yeah. or just basic ideologies. You know, the, the Democrats and the Republicans both want their own version of big government. Nobody mm-hmm. cares about freedom. Right. They just care. They just care about winning at all costs. And mm-hmm. you know, as long as this continues on this on this system, this is why people need to have these conversations and need to say, mm-hmm. you know what, we're not going to fix these, but how can we come together as a community to be yeah. resilient? And right. that's why it's so important to have you know interject political issues with issues of self reliance because. Otherwise, people might not think it's really necessary, but I think now more than ever, it really is necessary. It really is. And it doesn't matter who's in office and what no. political party you associate with. Yep. You got to eat. 
You need yeah. to be more self-reliant, self-sufficient. But I just want to thank you so much for this conversation. Um, I've grown a, a little bit more respect for you now that I know your opinion and know what where you stand in life and what your lifestyle has become to be. And that's what we all should inspire to. So thank you so much, Suzanne. And thank I'll you. see you on your show. Yes, you will. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon.